This episode of the Drywall Podcast is dedicated to the memory of Joseph B. Goldman. Hello, and welcome to a wet and sticky episode of the Drywall Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Harmon. With us today, I'm very excited to welcome Lee Goldman to the show. Lee has an extensive background, and I knew early on in this interview, this was not going to be just one episode. It was around 2004 when he dove headfirst into the drywall industry and maybe had a lightning bolt of an idea. Right. If I could find a way, which I now knew that I could, once I saw that machine with the with the tape, yeah, which, which had been in my factory also, yeah, but I never, I never, that was so. All of a sudden, it, I just saw the tape coming out, and I saw, yeah, that's really cool. And so you have, you know, you see these TV shows where you go back and how the, yeah. So this is how the thought was coming. The lightning bolt. That was a lightning bolt moment for you. Yeah, and then, but then I said, oh, now I gotta sell. But before we can get into all that, we have to take a long stroll into Lee's dense history in the fashion industry, not only getting a frontline education in business from his father, Joseph B. Goldman, but also working directly with Ralph Lauren himself. Part one takes us on a roller coaster of successes and failures, and will leave you eager for more. I'm very excited and honored to kick off the 2024 sponsorship series with Columbia Tools as our January and February sponsor. This is the second time Columbia has sponsored the Drywall Podcast, and I'm super grateful to them for that. Stay tuned throughout January for some exciting ice bath giveaways, all culminating into a special Rocky Mountain adventure happening at the end of February where I'll be interviewing two surprise guests. Columbia Tools is a family-owned and operated business that's been rocking the drywall finishing scene for over four decades. Manufactures commercial-grade tools in Canada using cutting-edge machinery and all North American materials. Catch my two-part interview with Aaron and Elliot of Columbia Tools, episodes 23 and 26, as well as my live interview with Bernie St. James, their dad and founder of Columbia Tools, on episode 54. You can also catch this, my full interview with Bernie on our Instagram page. Do you have a question or a concern or a comment about the Drywall Podcast? Maybe you would like to be a guest on the Drywall Podcast or you have a suggestion of somebody that you think would be a great interview for the Drywall Podcast. I would love to hear from you about that. But for now, Lee Goldman, inventor of the wet and stick on the 82nd episode of the Drywall Podcast. Let's get into it. Said by Lee Goldman, wet and stick technology is similar to the idea used in water-activated wallpaper, except for 
we had to create an adhesive that set up quickly and began to grip in seconds, allowing the taper to string without missing a beat, says Goldman. The outcome is quick, dry adhesive that absorbs into the face paper of the wallboard. This allows wet and stick to expand and contract as the finished construction settles. We have Lee Goldman with us on the Drywall Podcast. Uh, Lee is has come up in a few conversations with my interviews with Kevin Bush, Adventures in Drywall. Also, uh, I interview Adam Luce and also Wolfgang. Uh, all Kevin, three did, of did those. Ever, did you ever talk to Heath? Yeah, Heath? yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're talking about maybe doing some fresco and having a cool adventure in Montana. Um, but that's, you know, that's a different podcast. <laughs> that's a different one. Well, no, he, I just happened to talk to both Kevin and Heath yesterday. Oh, okay. Cool. They, cool. They were, they, you know, I've, it's like I haven't talked to Kevin or Heath in years. We're and... ca- the Drywall podcast brings people together, Lee. Obviously. <laughs> so so going back to the story this wet and stick thing kept coming up i'm like that's a pretty good idea you just get the tape wet and you throw it on the wall like that's way better than running it through a tube and all of this and uh so uh kevin was like well you you should interview lee and he talked to you and then i reached out to you and so now we finally have the inventor of the wet and stick Lee Goldman, but your story goes much deeper than that, and we'll get into all of that shortly. I like the introduction, though, with the uh, little excerpt, and you can find out more about these articles on Walls and Ceilings magazine and probably other places, because you developed the wet and stick, and you also developed this saturator tool. Pretty cool. Blaze blocker. And, uh... Blaze blocker. That's the other one. It's like, what the hell's blaze blocker? And a, and a guy came to me with an idea about uh, screen a screen repair tape, and uh, I perfected it for him. And it, I, you know, actually, I have it downstairs in my basement. But uh, yeah, he, I don't know what he wound up doing with it. Uh, I had the rights for a while, but he, unfortunately, he couldn't get out of his own way. Uh, between his investors, I just said, "Well, I got enough going on." Plus. The other thing that I that we did was we really elevated the idea of using spark perforated wallboard tape wallboard tape initially. Uh, Say that again. What perforated? Spark perforated wallboard tape. Okay, what does that mean? So the so the joint tape, regular joint tape, you know, just any good one like USG, Lafarge, any of these names, National. (laughs) Has a uh, perforation. They, it, it has a it has a crease down the center. Yeah. So so what they do is they take this big roll of of, of paper uh, from the paper mill, and it's actually the best grade is from international paper. It's a specialized paper that is actually uh, the trees are from your neck of the woods. Well, I would buy um, these rolls. There were fifty about 60 inches in length and about i think it was about 50 inches in diameter so this was a couple tons or no this was a ton okay Uh, you know and we you know we had these machines that would take them but what what most people would do is they had they'd have these creasers and they would crease it and slit it rewind it and 
staple it, put their little sticker on it, and send it out. Okay. So what what the, when I looked into buying, this is a long story about buying this company. Uh, I saw that these guys had these sparkers, and what they would do is these sparkers would put. Uh, miniature mi uh, microscopic holes in it. You could hold it up to the light and see the holes in it. Yeah. And this would allow the mud to to have a better grip. Penetrate so, the paper. Right. So not only was the paper perfect, but it this, these sparkers were great. They were an added feature. And initially, from my understanding, now I'm only doing this since 2004 was only doing this in 2004. My understanding, the original paper that was used when drywall back in the 40s or 50s, I guess 40s, when they, you know, were, they had this boom of ha government housing and they started using uh, wallboard. Uh, I don't want to use anybody's name, but sure. using, you know, wallboard uh, in government housing, all tape, all this tape had specifications to have spark perfect, but then it went away. Why it, did why did they have to have the spark uh, they technology? They just thought it would, that would be the safety to keep the construction tight, better adhesion. They're supposedly, peace Whether, of mind, maybe peace of uh, mind. Evidently, I guess because <clears throat> that was the first guy that they come out with it, that's what they had. Okay. All right. Anyway. Fast forward as years went go by, went by, they perfected. They I don't know if they even used this same paper that they use now. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't around back then. Yeah, you know, gypsum wallboard was a new thing. Right. You know, before that, it was it was plaster, and I want to say it was sometime in the mid to late forties is when they when they started using drywall or drywall was perfected. Right. And, uh, you know, and uh, listen, I'm I'm kind of a student of this, so I don't, and I don't have all the facts, but I can give you the generalities. We're all Lee. We're all students here on the Drywall Podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I mean, I come from a a, a foreign. <laughs> I mean, these these hands have trouble tying <laughs> shoes, much less doing drywall. I saw these machines had these sparkers, but they weren't being used. Okay. I saw. I saw. They also had. Um, they, they, these the, the people that were running this i don't know what they really were doing and i, I you know i don't i don't know but i'm just sure. saying that there was something going on there maybe they were laundering what i don't know but i just i i saw there was an opportunity i wasn't doing anything at the time i had i had a major deal that i was working on that fell apart uh, I'm going to push the pause button, Lee. I'm going to push the pause button. We're going to have to establish before we get to this stage in the story. That was like the teaser, really. Um, very quickly, very quickly, what I know is that your father worked for Ralph Lauren. Like, I just wrong. wanted to get that in it. Wrong. wrong. Okay. So, All right. So, so I will tell you, I listened to, I listened to the podcast. Okay. So generally, there, there's a lot of good stuff. Okay. Actually... We're off the mark. Okay. All right. Good. Well, that's why you're here. We're getting to the bottom of it. I want the facts. I want to know what happened. So, as a, as a young child, my father was a, was a, a he owned a, a little men's shop, and then he went on the road selling goods because he could make more money. Oh, okay. No, all right. He started shirts, 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 shirts and ties, Weird. and that's where he met Ralph Lauren. 
Like dress, wait, dress shirts? Yeah. Okay, and, and ties. Yeah. That's so cool. You're a tie connoisseur. Uh, yeah? I am. I am. Okay. There's I, things I'm, that I'm Lee actually, Goldman. I'm actually <laughs> a throwback. There's not many of us around left that know nice clothing. Okay. All right, so, but, but, but before you start rolling or okay. we start. So I had, I dropped out of school and I, I, I had been, when my dad was on the road on the weekends with he and my mom split, my brother and I would go with him to my grandmother's house or his apartment, wherever he happened to be. And we would, when he got a new line to take out on the road, we would take the shirts and put the stickers on. So he knew what price and what, what codes were. So okay. we, so even at like, I don't know, 14 years old, this is what I was doing. So he, I was learning about fabrics. I would sit, do the same thing with his neckwear. So my father got, was so good at selling. And he yeah. had such a great, wound up having such a great reputation from Virginia through the Carolinas. He was like, okay. a, a, he became a legend. Okay. They elevated him to a vice presidency in New York for Eagle Shirtmakers. Eagle Shirtmakers brought in this crazy Frenchman named Pierre Cardin and introduced him to the country. Pierre Cardin had this one size turtleneck that your, your parents would know about. You might not know about, but it was like it's all the rage. So if you yeah. look back at the old James Bond films or whatever, all the cool guys would be wearing these turtlenecks, ribbed turtleneck, turtlenecks. Okay. And, and is that time. Eagle? Is that the Eagle Outfitters now? No, that we're talking about it has no. nothing to do with them. It's okay. All right. They're, they're Eagle shirt makers, not <clears throat> eighteen seventy in Quakertown, Pennsylvania. Okay. That's where they're from. Anyway, so he worked. He, he went there and. Because of his, he had a pulse, and I that's what kind of where I got it from, from him. He had a pulse on what would sell, and, yeah. he, and he had a grip on that. Because okay. he had traveled and met all the specialty stores. There was no Bloomingdale's other than 59th Street. There was no okay. Neiman Marcus except in Dallas, Texas. There okay. were all these mom-and-pop specialty stores, and it was like a men's club. All these guys would, were loved to dress. They were from the South. They're yeah. Through, Button down shirts, the Gantt collars, the what the, year? What, what are we talking? Forties or fifties here? We're talking sixties. Sixties, okay. And your dad's name, really quick, if you don't Joe mind, Goldman. Joe Goldman. Joe, Joe Goldman. He would like to be known as Joseph B. My dad would be sent to go pick out fabrics for this for this company. This, the name of the company was is irrelevant, but he okay. had now, aside from Eagle, he also represented this other company. It's called Berkeley Cravats, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's where he and Ralph met because Ralph was picking out ties to, for his first, uh, picking out fabrics for his first collection that he was going to show Bloomingdale's. Okay, he Ralph Lauren. Nobody knew who Ralph Lauren was. There was right. no polo. It was ties. Uh, I think it was uh, ties for uh, uh, Brooks Brothers or or some division of uh, another another company. Okay, all right. This is when Ralph first started. So he yeah. and my dad clicked. They clicked over baseball and they clicked over Frank Sinatra. You know, and yeah. I was a kid. I was just, I was just a kid. I mean, yeah. I was, I was, so I would, so my dad, I guess uh, this has to be like 1965 or six, okay. somewhere, somewhere in that. 
So he's he and he and Ralph are talking and they're going back and forth and they're every time they're he's my dad's in town. My dad would go up for three or four days and then come back down. We lived in Virginia Beach. Okay. And uh Virginia Beach, Virginia. And okay. he would come back town and back down. And in those days the airline flights were pretty cheap. Uh I remember I remember that we there was a price war and we 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 would once we got in business. We, I lived down there. My father lived down there. We would commute five days, you know, for five days. We'd stay up in New York, come back. I think it was $29 round trip. Was Ralph Lauren in New York at the time? Yeah. Ralph, okay. was, living in, Ralph was living in New York. So that's where the story starts. So my dad, then, I don't know if you've ever heard of Gantt shirt makers. Uh, makers because they are the ones that were famous for the button downs, the blue button down that use Oxford cloth shirts. How do you spell that? G A N T. So you'd have to go back in time, but they were the things you had bass regions, you had Gant Gant shirts. Okay. Uh, that was, that was the thing. And the Gant shirts were known for having this loop on the back of the, uh, on the back of the shirt. So when you were going to high school, if you had a Gantt shirt on, the girls would come and try to and rip your uh, rip your loop off, and they would collect loops. Really, it was That's a thing. Cool. That's that cool. Was a thing, you know, you know, we still had rotary phones, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, so so fast forward. I I'm now my father's in. So he's starting up Gantt Boys Wear division. And Annie Hall is playing in the theaters, and all the women are wearing boys' uh, sport coats. So his division is hotter than a firecracker. I'm at. I left school. And What's the connection between Annie Hall and were they wearing? Were you guys targeting the movies to uh, market your fashions? No, not yet. No, it just happened. Okay. It just so happened. Ralph, Ralph Lauren uh, had a, started his women's wear line. And he he furnished all the clothes for Annie Hall. Okay. But his his jacket, his sport coats, let's say they were five hundred dollars a piece. Yeah. Gant boys, which women could wear, figured out they could wear, and looked had all the similar look, were like I don't know a hundred hundred dollars, let's say. Okay. So they, all these women were buying boys stuff because she had this men's uh, women's men's look different cut no but yeah but they had a women's men's look at the time okay all right like, you know like they would they would be wearing the same thing like i'm wearing now you know they would be wearing a button-down shirt a, a shirt over it or a sport coat over it and and jeans or corduroys or or flannel slacks it was a different look at that time okay so okay I'm working at a company called Bridges of Georgetown in Washington, D.C. Okay. They, they were like the, they were Ralph Lauren's best customer. All right. We, it was a fine, fine men's store, but we also okay. had a Western wear division. We also had a, an outdoor division. So we had all, all these stores and I'm now I'm the buyer. Okay. So I'm coming up to New York. I'm, I'm buying accessories belts, leather goods, hats, yeah. scarves, yep. sweaters, dress shirts, 
So I'm I'm running into Ralph Lauren, I'm running into Alexander Julian, all these guys you probably know, Perry Ellis. I knew all I knew all knew all these guys. Okay. Some are dead, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so my father's 50th birthday, which I guess I can't I guess it was in 19, I don't know where some somewhere in his late 70s. He had they somebody threw him a surprise birthday party. Okay. I don't even know if it was his 50th, but whatever number it was. He he comes to me and says, you know, he's having we're at we're sitting on the beach smoking cigarettes and drinking scotch. Okay. It's he, my brother, and my uncle. And he says, I want to talk to you guys. I I I I can't be doing this anymore. They're not giving me my 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 due. And I know you guys know what you're up to. Lee, I know that you're in the accessory business. Arthur, I, his brother was actually working making belts for uh some company in rochester i think it was called salvatore whatever so he okay. says why he says ralph lauren ralph approached me on the street he said what's up he he happened to be in the same building that my father was this particular day saw him on the street my dad knew not only ralph but he knew ralph's president very well i mean they were all they were either drinking buddies or social Slides. My yeah. Ralph wasn't a drinker, but my father and his and the president of Polo were fast friends. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, long story short, Ralph says, "Well, what, why don't you do something with me?" He said, "He says, you know, I asked you to be my partner when I first started Polo, and you turned me down. <laughs> yeah. why, why don't you?" And, you know, and, and, and my father said, "Yeah, I was real smart about that one, wasn't I?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know what? You know what? I like Polo. I'm a I, I like polo pants and uh, you would have liked them really nice really when back in the, my day yeah in the eighties yeah. because there wasn't all this well it it was just really finely tailored right stuff. right I still have some stuff that I wish I could wear right but I've gotten to be a fat boy so I can't fit into them I got I got stuff you can't believe that I'll I just, bet I'll I just, bet I just don't want to part with it. Anyway, so my father says, I spoke to Ralph. Why don't we make some belts for Ralph and see, okay. and see, and see what we can do? And think about it. Let's talk about it in a week. I'm, now, here I am, this big deal. At by, this point, Joseph has never, hasn't manufactured yet. He's okay. never done anything but, but sell and work and, and run a sales force. Why do you think what what's the attraction to manufacturing a product versus doing just continuing to do what he was doing? Where's the attraction there? More money? Well, I I, I honestly I I think that he was frustrated always working for somebody and not and really not getting his due. Uh, right. And, not, and, and always being, you know. He was making a really nice salary. He was he was had great expenses. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, but, man. Do you know, but he had hit. He was felt like he was hitting a, a dead end. And there was, a, and I think that the, if I remember correctly, Gantt, the company he worked for, yeah. was employed to be purchased. And yeah. he's all of a sudden he saw all his hard work create you know getting this boys division okay running, all right you know going down he's walking in the shadows of giants like these pre pre-giants you know 
essentially he's like he's in the background and he wants to uh he wants to make no, his no, mark he, he, i don't think he wanted the spotlight he just wanted security okay all right so my dad's my dad's father died when he was like 18 or 17 and he had to leave school to be able to help to help his mom okay. and he helped help raise my my uncle all right. And so he 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 was a working dog, and and, yeah. and they, we didn't have they they didn't have much of anything. Yeah, it was they were depending on the seventeen year old to make money to feed my grandmother and her son, her other son. <clears throat> right. And, and I believe my great grandmother was living with him at the time. Okay. So there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot to go around. I mean, they, they, we were poor. Yeah. Okay. Let's 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 continue so, so, the story along. You've got your dad's like we're going to do belts for Ralph Lauren. I I felt like I was the bee's knees as far as accessory buyers. You probably have heard of a guy by the name of Joe Abood with Men's Warehouse. He was a designer that worked for Ralph. Joe Abood used to buy for a for a store called Louis of Boston in Boston. Okay. I bought for Bridges of Georgetown. We were rivals. I mean, it was like crazy. Yeah. You know, but we weren't even in the same area, but we were also rivals that it respected one another. And we would go out and have a few drinks together. Okay. And then we then we would play and sometimes we'd get in card games together. Because you gotta remember, we're single guys up in the city trying, you know, just we're working our ass off during the day and partying at night. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it was a different time, kind of like mad men, you know. You didn't exactly. really take you didn't take care of yourself. You guys are out yeah. there. It was it's a man's world. You guys you guys were just just living the lap of luxury essentially. I mean, having a ball. We, we, I would we, assume we we were we were working our ass off, but we were beasts. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, we're twenties in our twenties. Yeah, we're rocking and rolling, baby. You know, and you in know. a market, men's fashion essentially was new. Not, you know, I mean, well, it's been around, but uh, maybe not as much in the United States. So, you know, the story about Ralph. Everybody mm. was wearing these small little skinny ties that you saw Don Draper wear. That look where everybody was buying their shirts from JCPenney or, you know, national shirt shops or wherever. And he he took and made that those Van Heusen shirts or whatever, they, he made them luxurious, really fine cotton, really nice, wide, thick, wide ties that had some kind of life to them instead of this solid black or blue or burgundy or a couple of stripes. He, he took, he took upholstery fabric and started making ties. Okay. He, he did paisleys. He did, he did uh, intarges. He did, you know, brushed, Brush silk. Anyway, I don't want this to all to be about the fashion, but Ralph Ralph was the guy that made it made it fun to get dressed for men. Yeah. Instead of you know, and you know, you wanted to have the right belt, you wanted to have the right tie, you want, and, and they were all people would line up at the store I worked at on Saturday morning, waiting for the doors to open to see what was new because they knew we would be putting out new stock. Friday night, and it was like a fucking stampede. Okay, the, the guys were like piranhas. Their their yeah. wives or girlfriends were like piranhas. Yeah, they would come in 
if you worked at Bridges, they 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 were all they just wanted to know what you could tell them what they needed to wear so they could get the, you know. Very cool. And if you're listening to this is all going to we're all going to uh, uh, round this out back to drywall. Um, I think this story is interesting. I love the entrepreneurial spirit. Anyways, I could do a show just on entrepreneurs like trust me. Um, this story is cool. That's why I wanted to interview you. The fact that you made, you know, that you you were in this realm and you transitioned to this weird wet and stick uh, idea is fascinating to me. And hence the thick uh, background on Lee Goldman. And as a precursor, I already said to Lee, this might be a two-parter. So... If if your story's getting long winded or something, and I you know I feel like it's not interesting, I'll I'll butt in and we'll we'll cut out. But I, I all this is interesting to me. Um, hopefully, it's interesting to our listeners as well. So go ahead. These these um, okay, so, so, this is back when you're in the belts uh, yet or no. This is still kind of we're right around that area where we're, you're we're establishing just, your relationship with Ralph. Well, well, I I had met Ralph as a buyer. Ralph would show that there's this was a time when Ralph Lauren had eight employees. And he would actually be in the showroom and show the buyers, uh, particularly my store, the store I worked for, Britches of Georgetown, which I think was doing they've, they've come alive again and we're doing the Monday night football uh, wardrobes and stuff. But recently, but uh, enough of that. Um, my store was their number one uh, customer at that time. And, okay. and, we're, and we're talking uh, 74, 75, you know, and my, and, and this is the same time that my father, when he started the Gamp Boys was taking off. So I would see my dad on, I'd go and do my work during the day. And at night I had an apartment that, or the company had an apartment and I would meet my dad for dinner and uh, drinks, whatever. And I got to know all the guys that he was rubbing shoulders with. And yeah, it was kind of like I, I went to I was going to school and didn't even know it. Would you yeah. say that your dad was uh, uh, sort of honing your skin like he was nurturing your your chops? I think in the, in, I think I think he recognized I, I, I had the I had the bug. OK. And. He he enjoyed having me, and I enjoyed having him being there. Yeah. Being there. He introduced me to Howard Cosell one okay. night. <laughs> All right. Unbelievable. I mean, uh, uh, buddy. And Rich, to our young our younger listeners, Howard Cosell is a famous uh, sports broadcaster back yeah, in he, the day. You go back to YouTube and watch he and uh, Ali, Muhammad Ali get into these interviews and. Chump, you know, play around with one another, and yeah. he's big on Monday Night Football when it yeah. first started. Would you say that you and your dad had a, a close relationship? Were you close with your dad? Oh yeah, 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 uh, uh, yeah. Um, my dad passed away uh, January of uh, 2021. Okay, uh, not of COVID, but um, and. Uh, that's pretty recent. It. That's pretty. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, two, two years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it's three years. Uh, three years to. Uh, three years ago, fr uh, Saturday. He would have. Uh, uh, he would have liked this. He would have liked this interview. 
I'm sure he would. And, and he would like he if he was if he were still here, he 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 would. Uh, we'd get him on. I'd figure a way of getting him on. Because yeah, you want to talk, you want oh, to talk yeah. a guy that has stories? Shoot, he had he had the best. But anyway, I'll bet. Well, I'll bet. Well, I, I could talk about my dad forever. Yeah. Um, but he and I, yeah, you know, I don't know if he was. I don't know initially if he was grooming me but he certainly made a lot of introductions and i think he was i think he was, i think at first he was testing me okay you know i wanted to see i think he wanted to see the, the hunger i think he wanted to see the ethics i think i think he wanted to see just how i handled myself yeah, was ethics a big part of his story and yours coming into this? Like you guys were, you wanted to make the best products, you wanted to make quality products, all of that stuff. No, uh, without a doubt. You know, yeah. uh, my father on his uh, gravestone, uh, there's a saying that my grandmother used to always say to us, and he said it all the time, do right and fear no one. Love that it. Says, that says it all. Do right and fear no one. And I think actually Jesus said that, believe it or not, but huh. or, or something along those lines. But that was um, that was that was something that even goes back to my childhood. I remember when I had the, some of the most difficult moments was telling my father I did something wrong before sure. he could find, before he could find out. Mm. And, yeah, I remember one time, and I don't want to go through the whole incident, but I remember one time I said he was away. He was at a a, a dinner with this, his wife and friends, and um, I I called him up because I had to tell him right then. You know, Dad, remember you said do right and fear no one. Well, I didn't do right, and I'm scared shitless of you right now, <laughs> <laughs> or something to that something to that effect. Yeah. So. I love it. Love it. Good yeah, stuff. Uh, we're giving a nod to uh, Joseph B. Goldman on this on this show. Uh, very, very cool. Because, you know, we all came from somewhere. Uh, our fathers are, are a huge influence. I have an eight-year-old right now, and so I'm absorbing all of this information, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, fatherhood is uh, is something big. Yeah, it's yeah. It's big to me, and as you will find out. But Do you have, you have kids? I do. I do. Okay. I have uh, Two, two girls and a boy, and I, and I have a stepdaughter. Uh, okay, we're a little strange right now on the stepdaughter, yeah, due to fracturing of the marriage. But sure, um, uh, my my daughters are living in Virginia Beach. Okay. Uh, my oldest is married. Uh, she's got a wonderful husband, Liza Beautiful. and Dave, and uh, they have two kids, Cam and Callie, uh, that were Dave's from a previous marriage. And they're trying to have their own, and they have a lovely house on at the beach, sure. and a lovely life. And there's great kids. Okay. Uh, my youngest daughter, Aviana, uh, is with her her beau Harrison, and they they are setting up, they set up shop. And I don't know what the future holds, but they seem to be very happy. Okay. Um, and then my son Sam, it, I would say Sam is falling in the fashion. Cool. Sam, Sam um, is a big story. He had uh, he had a disease called primary sclerosing cholangitis. 
Okay. And it is a disease that attacks your biliary tree. And Sam has had two liver transplants. Eh. And he had his colon removed. Okay. And he had he's he was a very, very sick boy that uh my wife and I uh almost lost him a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a whole story in itself. Yeah, tough stuff. Uh, I'm I'm very big on organ donation. So if you're listening out there, uh sign up and be an organ donor. You could save somebody's life. This one woman that my son got the second trans the uh, second uh liver transplant saved seven people that I know of. Well, I know that I've heard of. And I don't know if you ever heard of the lady who had her face ripped by the champion face yeah. ripped off by the chimpanzee. Yep. Uh I'm not supposed to know this. I, I can't tell you how I found out about it. But she got a face and I think she uh, both her hands and my son got the liver from the same donor. Wow. And he is my monkey boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Very, very, very serious stuff. Uh, and that, yeah. that, that is, a, that is the podcast in its own, but I don't want to, I don't want to go there cause it's, uh, it's part of the reason why I'm not making the tape I, or I would say that's, that's part of it. I, well, I, we'll, it's, we, I think we, it's good I, Intel. We'll circle back. We'll circle back. Um, okay, let's go back to uh, no, no, Ralph. No. Ralph Lauren sees something in Lee Goldman. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I I am tenacious when it comes to product development, and I okay. can I I have a very I I did I don't know if it's still there, but I always had a very strong fashion sense, and I also like my father, uh, and I believe my brother had it too. Uh, we had a gut feeling of what would sell within this market of okay. that we were in. We were in the updated traditional field. We weren't into the disco stuff. We weren't into the you know, you know, goth or uh, grunge. Uh, yeah. We had adaptations on some of those things, but we, when it came to dressing as a gentleman, yes. And, and fine, you know, fine uh, uh, haberdashery. Uh, we we were there, you, we, there's nobody better than us. We were okay. great. I have okay. to say, we 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 hit it, and we hit it with Ralph. And we okay. all we were all evolving. We were one of Ralph's first licensees. Now, for those of you that don't know it, being a licensee means uh, that you're part of the family, but your 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 business is independent. Okay. So we had our own company, which we called, which was called Campaign, okay. and we were and we had a division called Polo Ralph Lauren Leather Goods, and we made belts, wallets, desk sets, gift items, uh, uh, braces, which were suspenders when they were hot in the eighties. I mean, I have a box in my. I could do a whole story just on braces. Yeah. People thought, I mean, people thought I was nuts when I I sat down with Ralph. I said, this is going to be hot. I know it's going to be hot. And we started taking his neckwear, his silk, and making him into the, the braces. And yeah. we would take alligator and, and some of our fine leathers and make all the all the attachments. It was like crazy. I can't yeah. tell you how many we sold. I, and and then Ralph came. Ralph uh, came up with the idea of 
making um taking dog collars that he's seen in England and making them turning them into belts. So these these people in Liverpool used to used to weave uh, uh hemp into making rope for the sailing for the for the uh freight industry, ocean yeah. freight, yeah, fishing, fishing nets, all this stuff were made it by home workers. And we gave them leather to start making our belts. And we would do braided belts like you could not believe. Yeah. All the braided belts you see out there now are knockoffs of things that we did. You were the first to do braided belts. Not the first to do a, any braided belts, but we were the first to take that braided belt and make it into a series okay. of all kinds of braids. Okay. We had a cobra braid. We had a herringbone uh, braid that everyone has now. Before yeah, yeah. it was, I remember Canterbury belts had this, had this braided belt, but it wasn't anything like what we were doing. But it was, it was a braided belt. So I'm not going to tell you that we invented braided belts. We just took right. it to a level that everybody had to have our braids. Okay. We put we we, we took sterling silver buckles. And, and tips and put it on our braided belts and it became a, like a fashion item that like women had to have it we did it in three inch braids and had these braided buckles and all this crazy stuff it was nuts yeah it was, we took alligator uh was, we took american alligator as soon as it became unendangered because it had been endangered i guess from like 60 to 78 or okay. 79 and we it became a fashion item and we couldn't we could we were the biggest sellers and users of alligator skins mm-hmm. in the world at one time yeah i mean nobody sells at the time 400 belts like they're gumballs it right. was insane i yeah. mean it was quite intricate to make them right you know to match everything up but that's it was like I was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal about crocodile, the difference between crocodile, alligator, where we got them, how we did it, how we, you know. I yeah, mean, yeah. I remember we were, it was in such demand that we, uh, that we actually, um, I flew to Italy to bring, excuse me, to bring back a load of belts on an airplane because we couldn't get them fast enough. Okay. Yeah, for for one of Ralph's fashion shows, I think that was. So we, you know, I remember his his flagship store on 77, 72nd Madison. I remember we did all nighters getting that store ready for its opening. So it was like all hands on deck. I didn't work for Ralph. I just did it because that was what needed to be done. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't alone. I mean, not just Lee Goldman, you know. Right. But it was like any. I mean, I was the president of my company. And I'm, you know, I'm doing work that, that I'm standing right next to the same people that are, you know, stock boys. And the misconception for people that are successful is that it comes easily. But the reality is that I think that work ethic that was instilled in like uh, maybe the boomers, older generation, and I, there's still work ethic now, it's shifted a bit, but that work ethic is what enables people to become successful. I There are very few people, I think, that are successful that don't know how to work hard. 
<laughs> like you got to times, um, and I was flying all over the world doing you know research development, uh, pro, you know bringing getting samples for whether it's fashion shows or the new lines. You know it was a it was a it was a process, and okay. we remember we didn't have fax machines until the eighties. We we didn't have CAD. We didn't have cell phones. We had PDF files <laughs> that we could just send to somebody. Yeah. We, we had these little drawings that I mean, you know, we'd have to send them over in envelopes overnight. There was no Federal Express. Right. We're talking about people that used to go, the buyers for Brooks Brothers used to go on month-long trips to Europe on the friggin' ship. Yeah. Way way back. I love it. You know, so I mean, we did advance. I did fly on the Concorde a couple of times for emergency yeah. meetings or, or whatever. But you, you can't, you know, you can't. I wish, I wish we had the technology then that we, that's out there now. I, oh, we would have. Oh. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, and everybody's there's a lot of people doing it now too, though. So it's a lot more competitive. Yeah, that, you know what? I you know they they missed the step. You know they missed the step of of maintaining quality that that people could afford without being ostentatious. I mean, I, yes. I, I gotta tell you, I look at, I look at product. I'm a product guy. Okay. I look at product and it, and it all, it filtered right through to uh, the hardware division, you know, hardware, yeah, yeah. drywall and paints and whatnot. I, there's a void of quality of, 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 and people that are, have the integrity of, yes. Uh, of, of keeping to their their principles They're, instead of yes. selling out for the buck. So I'm going to build a business just to sell it versus I'm building the business for the sake of this is really fun and I enjoy this and I want to make it as good as possible. And I, I care about the label and I care about uh, uh, customer service. Customer service now, it's like, Message me on Instagram. Text me. I'll answer your text. Give me a phone call, email. You can get a hold of the owner of any business anytime. I wouldn't sell a customer over the phone. I'd be on a plane in front of him. We'd right. be, we'd be we, and, and we would be. It was all about relationships. You built relationships. It wasn't about uh, everybody could take somebody out to dinner. But you have to be able to relate to people. You have to be able to get inside what they want. And if yeah. they don't know what they want, and you think you know what they want, then you got to be able to explain to them that they want it. I love it. And well, and in drywall, though, it's kind of antiquated in that respect because it's such a stifled industry. Fashion, you've got these new ideas. Oh, this guy's coming out with this. This guy's coming out with that. There's a little bit more open-mindedness. Drywall is just like, that's new. No thanks. We're making a million dollars doing it this way. Why would we want to do something new? You're telling me. <laughs> so that's a good segue. Well, no, yeah. So, <laughs> but you know, for for so somebody with chops, somebody with chops like you, you come from the fashion industry. You're like the drywall is going to give you a rude awakening, like pal. Like you think you know how to sell shit. Welcome to the drywall industry. <laughs> yeah. Well. 
Well, yeah, I, I, you know what, I, I was obviously for a guy that was seasoned, I I'd opened a restaurant, it was successful, I wanted to get back into something where I could interact with people other than, you know, hearing about them burping or what wine, you know, I, I, I got I, I was always into food and wine. And so okay. my travel really helped with that. And I opened up this, this uh, tapas bar called, called Bodega. And it was in our moniker on the, on our T-shirts for our servers were small plates, big drinks. It was in Norfolk, Virginia. It was an Love area it. where they were they had no idea what was going on. I had this we had this brick facade, uh, old warehouse building that I, I built this New York bar. And okay. I had this I had this restaurant I, and I and I knew all these guys because I'd always gone out to dinner and, and they were all these chefs were my friends. OK. You know, on, on my downtime, when I come in from New York, I go to my my buddy's place. It's called the Lucky Star. He and his girl were chef and proprietor, and yes. I just would listen listen to them while I'd have a couple of cocktails. And uh, I met all these guys, and so I, I was looking for something to do after I sold my business because when Ralph went public, and my father decided he wanted out for another whole reason. Sure. Uh, I, I didn't want to sell the business, but I was outnumbered and okay. I wasn't, I, I wasn't savvy enough to go find an inv uh, investors because sure, I, sure. I was running, I was running a business. I took our business. I want to say from, let's say 10 million to 45 million in, okay. in like two years. Okay. That's where my dad and I cl clashed because all of a sudden I'd gone to school. I learned all the stuff and I saw where he was stuck. Okay. And I saw where we, and, and Ralph saw where he was stuck. Sorry. Uh, it was just one of those things where um, it was time to, for the young, young to take over. And I was, but you, you opted to, you opted just to sort of get out exit no, at that well, point. Eventually. Okay. So, so I took, I basically took over in, we started the business in 79. Okay. By 89, I was now president and running the company. Okay. I was, yeah, I was, I was the CEO. My, my dad was chairman, but that was, he, he, it was, I don't want to go into anything that sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Uh, that it doesn't sound cool. It wouldn't be a first time that uh, father and son butted heads, especially in a, oh, a oh, large. I can tell you, I, I love, I love, I love him. I love him without a doubt. I would do anything to have him back. In, you know. Yeah, yeah. He and I fought like two lions, and the old lion wound up getting scratched. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not Very necessarily cool. proud of it, but it had to be done because we were stuck. We were stuck, but when you're when I when you got the premier designer name in the world at the time, and and you're seeing that you can't get out of your own way because your dad is getting afraid of spending the money to make it happen, and we're, sure. you know we were things were becoming computerized. It, it, I'm talking our biggest fight was like in '87 or '88 over spending $40,000 to get online. Yeah. At, the at a time where we, I knew we needed to be ahead. 
I knew that if we were going to do business with Bloomingdale's or Neiman's or Saks or any yeah. of stores, we needed EDI. Uh, uh, we, uh, I mean, that, nobody even knew about barcodes. Yeah. And I, I, I had drinks with a guy, and he was telling me about it. And I go, "That's the future, Auto, automated replenishment. Yeah. You sell one, it automatically reorders. How? What a frigging concept! It was not around. Everybody yeah. would do. They would do manual inventories. They would get get, get to. I mean, it was like compared to now, it was like slow motion, baby. It was like, yeah. and, and I saw we could jump on this. And we weren't going to compromise anything, but just be more efficient. So $40,000 was a big investment. And I and that, and I took over and I wanted to hire a whole new sales team because yeah. you know, we had guys that were, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't doing what I wanted them to do. And uh, for, are, for whatever uh, reason, for whatever reason that you had a shift at that point in time, you sold whatever. And well, wait a minute, but let me just tell you, I, okay. I, here's, here's the, here's the adage. You get, if you want to make money, you got to spend money, Yeah, but you got to spend it in the right places. So I went out and got a great VP of sales. I spent, he was making more in salary than any of us in salary. Yeah. I knew it was the investment we had to make. And he knew somebody that could come in and be his right arm. And that means I had sales. I I needed to find somebody to, to help me with merchandising. I mean, I, if I wanted to go past where we were, I couldn't be the only guy that made the deals. Or, yeah. or did the research or relied on or, or, or made the products come to life. I had to have partners. So yeah. I built, I built a customer service staff, a product development staff, a design staff. I yeah. had all of these things that we didn't have. Okay. And, and it was freaking my father out because yeah. he's, you know, all right, uh, let's just call Harry and Harry will go and he'll, he'll send that out to the customer. Bullshit. This is the, we, we can't do that anymore. So we went from a 8,000 square foot facility to a 72,000 square foot facility. And believe me, I filled that bitch up. Yeah. Well, not just me, but uh, the team, but I would have everybody together. And it, now it's becomes popular to have these group meetings, whatever. I knew we had to be all be on the same page. I knew everybody had to be feel included. I, I paid good. I paid good bonuses. I paid everything. I wanted everybody to be solid. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. But one thing I respected was when they got to the line in the in the 90s, it was like a machine, that front line that protected Aikman and created holes for Emmett Smith. Uh -huh. It was like a well-oiled machine. That's how I want, we needed, I saw that's what we needed to be. Yeah. That is a reference, but I'm telling you, so you can assimilate what yeah. I'm trying to say, but I had this vision Yeah, and it was so exciting. It was so exciting. And cause I started to see it work and yeah. you can imagine when we started seeing the sales roll in and just things, I mean, I was going like, wow. And I was going, and I was, I just was going crazy. And my, and then my dad became a cheerleader instead of a, a weight, but we had to have that big fight. 
We had to have it. It yeah. just happened. It happened. And I, I, I love him and I respect him for being able to see it and, and letting me be graceful at some point. Yeah. Because I wasn't graceful initially. I'll tell you. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was brutal. So you did push beyond this, uh, a business disagreement with your father. You continued to build the business, but then there was a segue between the business and then this, uh, tapas bar, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm I've sold this business. I had just built this beautiful house in Virginia. It's eight thousand square feet, and uh, I get a couple of guys come over and say, you know, Granby Street, this area is in Norfolk is undergoing this big revitalization, and they want they need restaurants, and they have this MacArthur Center, which is a brand new uh, uh, mall that opened up. It was state-of-the-art for Norfolk, Virginia. I, I wish I could say it was doing well now, but anyway, we were the first restaurant on what became Restaurant Row. It's a destination wow. place now. But at the time, the cops, the police, excuse me, would be riding on bicycles just to keep some of the bad element away because it was a yeah. real risky deal but i we we did it and we yeah. would have lined up we would have six deep at the bar it was crazy yeah was, that was great but that wasn't doing it for me so i came home i was like you know what am i gonna do yeah yeah i i, I don't have enough to retire but I can kind of go for a little bit, but I got to I got to do something. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm driving my wife and my kids crazy. Yeah. And uh, so I took, I, we, I moved my, my family out of Manhattan in 99 because I couldn't have my kid, my son, who was three years old at the time, Sam, I couldn't have him grow up in the city. I just, I, I wanted him to have a, a yard. So we moved yeah. to New Jersey. Okay. And so Sam is now, fast forward a little bit, he's now he's, it's uh, 2002. I got stuck in Hong Kong for 9-11, but that's another, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Sam, I'm taking Sam to a soccer game and I'm meeting, I've met all these guys and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a soccer dad and, you yeah. know, I've always, always was an athlete, but I, never really coached much except pick up games, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm I'm also a little vociferous, to put it mildly. I, I get a little enthusiastic when my boys running down or my girls are running down mm -hmm. the, the field. You you know, hopping around. Oh so yeah. This guy, this guy tells me, look, I, I I need some advice. I have a fire suppression business. I do all the sprinklers and all these buildings. I'm thinking about buying a company and I want you to look at it for me and I want you to tell me what you think. Okay. So it turned out it was the drywall tape company. I think it was called Duratape Corp. Weird. Duratape Corp. You get approached all of a sudden out of the blue by somebody that wants to sell you a drywall tape company. Well, no, he didn't want to sell it to me. He wanted, he was going to buy it. Okay. He, he, he just wanted me to give him advice. Okay. I mean, I, I got along with the guy. I guess he thought I knew something about something. You know, I don't know. Oh, you know, as my grandfather would, used to say, you know a thing or two about a thing or two. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Anyway, so I, I said to the guy, I said, uh, yeah, I'll take a look. So I looked at it and I, I saw some number of discrepancies that I didn't think were cool. I didn't understand the product. I didn't know the product. Yeah. And then he said, well, I want you to come over there and I want you to look at the, at, at the, at the setup. Yeah. So I went over there with him. He says, I, I don't know. He says, I'm not sure if I want to do this. I have a business consultant. I want to run this by. He says, what do you think? I said, I, I don't know the size of the industry. I don't know any of these things, but it looks like to me, this place needs a lot of policing. And for the number that they wanted, it needed. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm fastidious about a clean environment. You're coming from like the fashion industry and restaurant I'm, industry I'm seeing, into, into the shit world of drywall. Welcome. Well, but, but, but dude, <laughs> I'm seeing a manufacturer that's got more dust than, yeah. than a I mean, have you, you've been to, you've been to drywall distribution shops. Like you've seen some, like, it's like, are you kidding me? They're cleaner than this place was. This place had more <laughs> shit. I've never seen such, such crap. Yeah. useless crap it's all over everywhere it's so disorganized i i i had i said i'm not i can't do this without a flashlight <laughs> and that i couldn't see I couldn't see okay i said how are these people working and i'm seeing all the lights are out and all this stuff these guys i they i don't i think they just this was a cover for them okay that's what, that's what i thought at the time and i told him i said if you you know clean this place up and turn it like a business. I, I, it looks like there's a, there's a, some kind of foundation here, but I, I need to see the client, the customers. So I looked at the clients, saw what they were doing. I said, it doesn't look like you're doing, there's, they're doing much of anything. There's no promotion of the product. There's no marketing. Right. Said, is, there, is there a market? And then, and then I, then I, I, went, I guess I looked online and I saw. What was this company trying to do at the time? Sell tape, sell a drywall paper tape. Yeah. Okay. So they were trying, and, and, and they and had it, an associated. They had an association with a, a company called Wallboard Tool that had. Yeah. Remember the the tape that had uh, the metal run, metal yeah. running up and down it. Yeah. Well, they would also sell a couple of rolls of that here and there. Okay, so they're competing in a market with like maybe one or two other paper tape competitors in the entire market, right? No, no. You got to remember. USG is making tape. National okay. is making tape. Um, there, there's there's a few others that were out there. They were huge. Yeah, they're huge. So why so, why would you even try to compete in that space? Because I I don't know the market. I don't know that market. So I'm so then I had to do some research. I saw how many wall boards being sold. Then I saw US Gypsons out there, whatever. But then I also saw that. There, there, there could be some possibilities. So I told him, I said, you know, if you take, if you, if you were going to buy this, you're going to buy this because you have manufacturing capacity for a product, and you could make a different product or make a better product okay. or expose it. I said, I don't know all the price points, but I'm quite sure there is a point in a point of production that you got to stop being able to turn a profit. I said, and, and and I don't think you can exist just on this product, but it could be a foundation. And then okay. I left it. And then I left it. I walked away. Uh, a month later, the guy calls me, says, Lee, uh, somebody approached me to buy my fire suppression business. I'm going to sell. 
and I'm going to buy another guy's business. And I thank you for your time with the drywall, your drywall evaluation, drywall tape evaluation. I'd like to pay you for that, your time. And if you're interested, you could, they want to talk to you. I said, well, I'm not interested. The company who was selling to this guy yeah. wanted to talk to me. Okay. All right. And I said, I said, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in this freaking cockamamie business. These guys about po about possibly buying the business. I, I, I assume that's what it was about at the okay. time. All right. But as, at the time, I'm I'm going back in that time and I'm saying that's what I thought. Okay. So all right, another couple of weeks go by. Um, they, I, they, they had wanted some ridiculous number from this guy. And I, and I just told him, I, so they called me again. Would you come over and talk to us? I lived in Milburn, which is about 20 minutes away from Bloomfield. I didn't know how to get there. I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I have difficulty getting from my bathroom to my bed without, 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 you know, a line. So sure. I'm going, I don't even remember how I got to your place other than this guy drove me. So I got, so I said, you know what? I really don't want to meet with you because I'm not interested and I don't like the way you run your business. I don't, I, I just, you know, uh, there's some possibilities, but we want to talk to you about the possibilities. So I, I said, all right, eventually I went there. And God, this guy must've been quite a salesman to get you out there. <laughs> no, I kind of felt sorry for him. And to tell you, I, <laughs> And to tell you the truth, Poor I, had guy. Cabin, I, I had cabin fever. You're like, you're just like, they caught you at a good time. Yeah. Going, I mean, I, I, I was a little bummed with this whole deal with the English thing going down. Yeah. You know, and I said, all right, I'll come talk to you. Yeah. Because, you know, I, 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 one thing I, I don't know if I've come across this, but I, I believe in possibility. Sure. And if I if I if I could see a vision, or that I, I, I and I I can come up with a path. Yeah. And I had no desire to be in this business. No. None. 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 As a matter of fact, when I eventually bought the business, people that knew me called me up, going, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah. Yeah. As you tell the story, me being in this industry, it's, it, I'm like, no way. But <laughs> I saw when I was in there, I remember seeing a something having to do with, a, I saw a spray can of glue. Okay simple something you would do to, uh, to with setting up a, a a vision board maybe yeah and all of a sudden i said holy shit these guys have to use this compound they gotta wipe the compound down yeah they gotta wait for it to dry yes <laughs> then they gotta put on this tape and the tape is not easy to put on right and no, it's a bitch. This is fucked up. This industry, are they, are they have they yeah. lost their minds? Yeah, are you kidding me? That's when I got this idea of putting adhesive on the tape and figuring a way of getting it up quicker. Not sure how I'm going to do it yet. Right. 
but uh, so there's several things. You yeah, know, but okay, I've got some so questions. You see, so you see these, I've got these, questions. Uh, wait, you, wait, wait. You're, you're so, not even so, in the industry. You're right. You're right. So you don't so, know nothing. So well, wait a minute. I, I know. I don't. So well, I do know only what I did research for this guy. Okay. You know, I, 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 but I, but I, I'm questioning the guys that are, are that are making the tape. I'm going. How does this work again, man? I want to make sure I got it right. And they told me, and I, I, I didn't say a word. But while I'm walking around, they're sealing boxes with this machine that you press on it, and this tape spurts out. It goes over water. And I, they're sealing the boxes. And I've in seen, the same factory? Yeah, 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 in the same factory. So, okay. and I saw the can of spray, and all of a sudden, I, I'm seeing the rolls of tape, and all of a sudden, it's just like, holy shit. Yeah. There could be something here. Yeah. So, I put these guys, I, 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 I dragged this thing out, this purchase, for quite a while because what I was doing is while I was con considering it. Yeah. I went to patent attorneys. Okay. And you were, you were researching maybe the viability of the concept. Right. If I could find a way, which I now knew that I could, once I saw that machine with the, with the tape, yeah, which, which had been in my factory also. Yeah. But I never, I never, I, it was so all of a sudden, it, I just saw the tape coming out and I saw. Yeah, that's really cool. And so you have, you know, you see these TV shows where you, you go back and how the, yeah. So this is how the thought was coming. The lightning bolt. That was a lightning bolt moment for you. Yeah. And then, but then I said, oh, now I got to sell. <clears throat> so I did all, you know, and, and I, I wasn't sure, but I was, I figured, if anybody could do it, I could. And I had a guy, a good friend of mine, who was an electrical contractor. And so I had him look, give, give me an assessment of the machines. And by the time I finished with these bozos, that I, I bought this, I bought it by, at 30 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Because the machines weren't operating the way they should. Yeah. You know, they had, but they had things in place. It just didn't maintain them. They, it's like they didn't want to succeed. It, yeah, they were a couple of. They were they 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 weren't Italian guys. Well, you're coming from, you're coming from an industry, of uh, a higher level of uh, quality well, competency, like all this, all this high, you know, more money for sure to a suppressed industry like drywall and you're like well, there's all kinds of opportunity here yeah so i figure i figure if i could save a day i wasn't even realizing what i was talking about sure but I, you know, I i started thinking all these things all the way down the line how it would save the the guy that was working now right. i didn't realize i was going to run into a couple of issues <laughs> that I wound up running into as far as union guys don't want to don't want to go faster. Uh, they don't nobody nobody's interested in speeding up the process. You know, uh, no. Some of these guys uh, they did want to. Everybody wants to save money. Yeah. Welcome to welcome to the drywall industry, Lee Goldman. 
Holy cow. <laughs> you want to talk about a, a gut punch? Here I am all ready to go. I now have, I have now gotten all this. I've gotten, I have two, there's two machines. I have totally refurbished these machines. I can't, I, I don't know how much money I spent. Okay. So your research, your research did not lead so far down the path that you could uh, envision these marketing challenges that you ran into. Let's just say that you, you could not have possibly envisioned the sales no. challenges. No, like I, you're, no, you're, no, you're no. treating it just like any industry. Hey man, I got this new idea. It's going to go gangbusters. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was naive in that respect, but yeah. I, I will say that one of the first persons to believe in what I was doing was a fellow that's no longer with us. That was a friend of mine. I just found out recently that he passed. His name is Doug Holmberg of Grabber. He was a visionary and he was there. He was their product guy. Okay. And, that's how, and it was from, it was from Doug Holmberg that I met my buddy, Kevin Bush. Kevin Bush is how I met he. Okay. I like it. This is a good stopping point, right? This is a cliffhanger. Part two, the wet and stick. Like it, like, <laughs> um, you, your stories, so, 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 your stories so, so, are great, man. So, so are we done? Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about like, um, you know, we'll take off there. You know, so, I mean, so, so yesterday, yesterday, you know, I like to pr be prepared somewhat. And my memory, I, it was so disappointing how this all ended. And yeah, and, and my marriage ended. My son, fuck that, dude, fuck that, Lee. We're going to resurrect it, dude. No, no, no. But wait, wait. My, my son, <laughs> my son got really sick. Yeah. My, my wife and I split. Uh, the business failed. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I, I was so down about all this. I just went through and threw shit away. Yeah, I, I, I went, I went, I went. I wouldn't say you went crazy, but I was so damn depressed about the whole thing. Here, I was living this charmed life, and I would yeah. everything, you know, everything I touched turned to gold. And then one thing after another just ate me up, and. uh I, so I went back yesterday and I started, I, I kept a file in my Yahoo account called Duratape. And I started going through all the reason I kept sending you things. Yeah. Because I kept, I went through all my attachments to emails and presentations I made. And kind of so, bittersweet, bittersweet that the drywall podcast has wrecked, resurrected these, <laughs> these archived thoughts and uh for you well yeah i mean yeah i i i listen i i can't tell you that i haven't sat there with a drink in my hand or sitting on, on a beach and thought you know that could that should have worked yeah and, and, but not often but every once in a while i will sit and i'll go you know i've had quite a life yeah. And and I've I've been I've taken a shot on a bunch of things and they yeah some of them should have worked better than they did. Yeah. Um this that was that was that that I went from a guy that didn't know anything to a guy that knew a lot. Yeah. And, and I made and I, I look back, I I made some great contacts. 
I had I had it all going. I just ran out of dough, and I, I ran out of time to explain it to anybody. Yeah, my boy, my boy got sick. It took it took years years of my years to get him back. Yeah, and um, I, I knowingly sacrificed my business. I did all I did was make sure that anybody that 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 had product that was not up to snuff got compensated in some way. They may not have, they may not be happy about it, or they may not have been happy about it. But I did I did right. I did as right as I could. Nothing, I like it. Nothing, by the way, one of the things that irritated me about Kevin's broadcast with you, sure, it, and and I told him this. I said, first of all, there was no old age home. It, I, I have the article. I have the I have. I said, but what? Nothing fell off the wall. It bubbled. Because, okay. Because okay. the because the the coder, sorry, the coder, uh, the coder skipped. He had he must have had a, an issue with the machine. It's fucking glitch. Who cares? It, it was a it was a glitch. But then, I had it was a huge order. I had truckloads. Yeah. Nick, I'm telling you, I I I bet the ranch on. I had yeah. product going to Spain. I had product going to Australia. I had product going through Grabber. I had there was so much. I had everything riding on it because we had we were on a roll. I had mesh tape that was coming out of my ass. I, I, I had the best mesh tape there was. I, I know they have these other variations now, but as far as mesh tape went, I went to China and I developed. The, the right thickness uh, of, of, of strand, the right glue to go on that tape. I had it packed in a way that it was not going to ever have a problem. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many different aspects of this. If I said, if I'm going to be in this business, I'm going to be the best in this business. Yeah. And I was, and I was just getting ready to do a lot of different things when we had this problem. And, and when I took it to, the coder, he said, "Well, we, it may be, it may be, but we, you can't prove it, and we're not doing anything about it, and that's the way it is." And I mean, the paper is expensive, the freight's expensive, the coding was paid for; it's expensive. Yeah, all these things. I mean, I just, you know, I wasn't big enough. It took the wind. It, it took the wind out of your sail. And plus, my kid's dying. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm trying to save my kid. Yeah, yeah. So I just, you know, I developed this 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 blaze blocker. And I and I had it in I it was they had a hospital in Long Island that I had them tape it, use the tape. And it was a hit. Right. They even, they even had a a leak above the above one of the joints of water that went through the floor. It mm -hmm. didn't. It didn't come off. I had the right thing. I had the tape that was buffed just right. I, I went for spark perforated. I had their sparks were just right. I had the creases just right. I had everything just right. And these fuckers, yeah, screwed up. And when I tried to come back with that, 
I had I had I had these other fellas. God, they just didn't want to and you explain like, hey man, this thing is rolling. We just gotta fix this fucking thing. Let's work it out. Can we do a payment plan? How can we make this work? So wait a second. Now we're also talking about the housing crisis. Okay. That's something you're missing. So there was a third prong. Well, you remember the housing crisis of 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13? Yeah. Well, yeah. that was right in the middle of it. Okay. So at the housing crisis, my son's dying. I got, I got a product that, 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 that should be rolling, but now I've got a glitch there. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, not just me, for God's sakes. It was everybody got hit by that. Well, it, it was another uh, it was another aspect of why the wet and stick didn't fly. So there, there were multiple circumstances involved. It doesn't mean that it was a bad idea. There were just no, a I, lot. I, I there was a lot of factors. If I'm, giving you, if I'm giving you the impression that it was a bad idea. No, that wrong impression. We it wouldn't a- be talking if I thought it was a bad idea because I keep hearing about this wet and sick. I'm like, well, that's it. I'm an idea guy. I know. Like, I can see that. We, I'm, I can see that we, we think alike. Tape, tape that just goes. You don't need mud. You don't need a bazooka. Like, seems like a pretty good idea. Wait, only one job failed. Well, that's not enough. Well, that's that, not, I need more. That's, that's, I need that's more. Not, that's not entirely true. Okay. That's not entirely true. It was one job that was major influence for Grabber, but that the same batch went to okay. Australia. Okay. Same batch. And you went- had to call. You had to call those guys and be like, "Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! Don't use that product. We had an issue." Well, no, no, I didn't. I. So I didn't know it was through the whole run. I thought it was just one roll, one one master roll. Okay. I would order a truckload of 20, 20 master rolls. That's why I started by telling you how it, how the machines worked. So I would have forty eight hundred feet on a roll. Okay. That makes a lot. Of, that makes a lot. And when you're talking about six feet wide. You're talking about a lot of tape out of a roll. Yeah. I'm not not a truckload or anything, but I mean, you're talking about maybe a pallet and a half. Yeah. And and if there's 40 pallets to a truck. That's a lot of material. Yeah. I mean, listen, I I also, it's about product presentation. I mean, I went through this whole thing with Hyde. Before that, I mean, I was working on something with Lafarge. Well, the beauty of a part two is that we get to get more into your challenges in the industry. We've got a background. We've got a basis now for where Lee Goldman came from and, you know, sort of a little uh, teaser on uh, on the wet and stick. We can really do a deep dive into marketing in the drywall space, the housing crisis, uh, the challenges, you know, but but you had a shabby show thing that you bought yeah, I mean, you refurbished these two you invested a lot of money oh yeah millions <laughs> yeah, all right I, I, we're gonna stop there lee no, goldman no. 
No, I'm serious. <laughs> I know. I you don't know. just hop, you don't you don't just hop on a plane and go to China to develop shit <laughs> and, and not cost you money. Uh, um, think, think about all the boxes that you made for you make for your product. No, we do bottles. Okay, you do bottles. So I had to do boxes. So I did them for grabber. I had yeah. grabber boxes. I had generic wet and stick boxes. I had tape boxes for just plain tape. I had mesh boxes for mesh. I mean, oh I was, yeah. I mean, we do. I do boxes for shipping. But like, I'm, you know, I'm like, I bootstrapped it all. So like, my whole marketing model is completely different. And the caution was yeah. already built in with this industry. Like, I didn't realize it. I kept it secret for 10 years. Like I didn't want to let anybody know because they'd steal it. They could care less. Like they don't care. Like I start, you know, it's like I have to, you know, now what I've realized now, how to market in this space, like that knowledge I could take to a product like the wet and stick and be like, oh, you got to soft play this thing big time. You just, you like slow, slow play because you got these giants. Well, I did, I did slow play. There's these corporate fucking giants that are just, they own everything. And if you're not playing in their game, they don't care. They're not going to help you. We've been doing it this way for years. We got, we got truckloads of mud and sheetrock going out the door. Yeah, and they treated they treated drywall tape like a like it was a, a piece of piss. They treat mud like it's a piece of piss. No, it's, they make money on their mud though. They a dollar a box. It's a commodity. I don't know about that, well, I don't know if they make what they make now, but I can tell you it was all about selling their mud, and they were bored. That's all they cared about. They didn't oh, right, tape. right. Well, yeah, but, you're stepping on the mud toes a little bit. So well, yeah, yeah. So they cared about they, they they listen. They would practically give away the tape, plain tape, which is why I had to go into another direction. Now, I had a Europe business. Europe still believed that spark perforated tape was the bee's knees. Aust Australia felt the same way. So South America felt the same way. Okay. Here, they could give a shit, but I sold product in Costa Rica. I sold product in Australia. I sold it in England, France, Spain. Uh, never got into Italy, which was a shame. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, I, they they couldn't duplicate because I also what I didn't get into aside from just a spark perforating uh, deal that I perfected, I perfected the sanding of the of the tape. So it okay. has, so it has a nap to it. it, it it's a really, it, it's 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 a very subtle nap, which okay. is great for the mud. You have to understand the paper. So I had to learn paper. I know it's crazy, but I had yeah. to learn paper, and I had to understand why this paper. It was because of it, it, because of the tensile strength. I did I had studies done on the tensile strength difference between regular paper tape and wet and stick. I had I, I looked I I went underneath the hood in every possible way because I wanted to be the best at all of this shit. Yeah, and I knew it would take some time, but I knew if it hit, 
that I would never have, I, I, that it would be like an automatic bingo. There's something to be said for that. And growing slow in this industry has been the right way to do it. Because if you want to, you know, like like the challenges that you ran into when you jump the gun and you and you go full bore all at once, one little thing happens that can really like cr just cripple you. Look, I it, it, before I started to cook, I invested six years. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's this not... didn't. This was not. This was not a running gun. This was. Okay. This was. I, you know, I, but I was trying to hold on to, so I, I had to do something to create capital. Yeah. So that's when I developed the mesh tape. Okay. Well, I'm doing the wet and stick. Okay. You know, and, and I'm selling paper tape. So I'm trying to keep busy on every front. And I know that there's got to be accessories that go with these things. Right. So. One of my first coups was DAP. I private labeled mesh tape for DAP. Okay. And, you used an existing uh, brand. Well, they 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 wanted to put they wanted to offer mesh tape to, in their in in the I think guess it was through Sherman Williams and through a couple other stores. Okay. So I heard I heard they were looking. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how I heard, but I had just perfected this tape. I just got all my I just got my resources together in China. And now I have the bees knees, the tape, and I'm now I'm supplying grabber truckloads of this shit in different colors. I I don't know how I heard this, but I did. So I went down to Baltimore. I walked in. I said, "I got the, I got, I got what you need. I got it at the right price." They said, "Fine, let's let's put it put put a proposal together." I did. I, I'm now I've got containers coming to uh, that I'm re uh, that I'm reshipping. They're coming to me. I have I developed I originally DAP supplied the boxes. Then I just I made the boxes in, in in China, and then I would ship them product right directly. Cool. And but unfortunately. Uh, they changed buyers. Somebody had somebody in their pocket. Yeah. And I lost, and I, that business went away, but that, that's, I realized that's how it works. Yeah. So somebody, somebody had a relationship with this buyer that was in the mesh tape in, in the industry. And I think it was somebody in St. Cobain or someplace like that. Interesting. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but that's how I sustained business while I perfected what I had out there, you know, I, you know, I just, I had to figure a way. I, I hated mesh tape, by the way. I'd always talk it down. Yeah. Because I thought it was a crap product. Uh, like, people in the industry uh, don't like mesh on the whole, just my interpretation, you know, Fibafuse is a great new tape that's out. I'm sure you've heard I, of I it. I remember, I remember when they first were coming out, they didn't have it's, it. Right. It's but cool I, shit. It's cool. Well, I, shit. Actually, I actually made some of that. It's, it, you know, I've used it. It, the fibrous, the way the mud saturates it, it and the it, way it makes, it makes great. sense. Yeah. It makes sense. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I have two six foot rolls in my truck for like going over like 
wallpaper or like you know brick yeah it's, no there, there's it's definitely got great purpose no no but you know what i had tremendous respect for those people that uh can handle art artistic stuff and to me drywalling is an art it, yeah. it, you know to take the concept of a level straight wall that's not there originally it, it, and you've got to have it but piece by piece and have it match it, mm -hmm. it, you know that's that's something that I, I i couldn't do yeah it takes a few years to get good at um, i mean i, it, I you, you know you give me a two-foot area i I'll, I'll i'll tape it and spackle that bitch like a motherfucker but yeah if i yeah. had to do a whole scene no way yeah you got and that's years and years of on-time experience. Yeah, and it's hard work. It's uh, laborious. I actually had a union a union uh, school in California that was teaching how to use wet and stick. Okay. Yeah, I, I had some guys I was in contact with. They were all over it, man. Anytime uh, they they would, you, you should see them line up when if I was at a trade show. These yep. guys line up. They, I mean, all they want to do is talk shit. You know what happens is you you don't know that it uh, that a you don't know until you see it, and then you go, God damn, it should have been that way all along, right? Right. right. I mean, you saw it, and you go, what the? So fuck? I I remember I was thinking this morning about the first time that I the first iPhone that I touched. It just blew my fucking mind. And I knew, I was like, I want it. I want that. Like, I didn't even know how to use a computer. You had to have a computer to use the iPhone. I didn't even have a computer, you know, but like dude, that Steve Jobs, he knew. Hey, he knew. I remember, I remember the first, <laughs> I, I bought, I told you I did my, my, my belts in England. The first facts I bought, I bought three of them. I was in New York, our factory was in Virginia. Our distribution was in Virginia, and our main belt factory that we're doing business with was in England. I sent them this machine. They go, what the fuck are we going to do with this? I said, you find a way of plugging that bitch in and 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 give me your telephone number, and I'm going to show you what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It was like revolutionary. Yeah. Well, this uh, <laughs> this is uh, the right, longest. I got to go. I, I, I gotta go. This is the longest I've been on a Zoom call thus far. So congratulations for that. We've surpassed any, any interviews prior. But uh, tomorrow, same time, uh, we'll take off uh, on the wet and stick. All right. Well, yeah, just just do me a favor. Just decide where you want to begin. And you you know enough now that you can kind of control a little bit. So yeah. there's, there's definite phases of this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, because I, I, once I got rid of my machinery, uh, I, I then had to work with other people to get the things made. That was, yeah. that's, that's a story I don't know that you want. But we'll talk is. about all that tomorrow. All right, okay. Lee, you have a good day. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon. All right, rock on. Nice talking with you. Yeah, bye. Special thanks to Lee Goldman for being with us on the Drywall Podcast today. Tune in next week for part two as we flesh out the manufacturing of the wet and stick, the blaze blocker, and this saturator tool, and how a couple of 
bad circumstances led to the wet and stick demise shout out to columbia tools for once again sponsoring the drywall podcast in the months of january and february we certainly appreciate you guys for that if you're ready to step up your drywall finishing game and unleash the fury that is columbia tools and join their family visit the website at www.columbiatools.com or their instagram comma tiktok comma facebook comma youtube pages and check out the online community there guests of the drywall podcast will receive a sweet swag bucket from our friends over at csr csrbuildingsupplies.com go check out that website they have everything that you might need for all your drywall finishing purposes thank you so much for joining me on the drywall podcast today this story of lee goldman is a fantastic one and i encourage you to tune in next friday as we launch headfirst into part two of lee goldman's story about the wet and stick but until then i hope you guys have a fantastic weekend and remember keep drywalling